1: Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy that is not going to have any joke right here. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in
0: long-term recovery.
1: And today we have with us Austin. Hi, Austin. Hi, Austin. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right, man. And uh, Austin's going to help us explore the topic-ish of what it's like to um, have a death by suicide in your life experience, I guess is maybe a way I could lay it out. That doesn't feel fucking incredibly terrible. I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, I, yeah let, let let me just put the so, microphone in front of you, Austin, and you can go ahead and do some talking.
2: Yeah. So, um, I think the, the correct term would be a survivor, survivor, uh, survivor. I, I don't know. Survivor of suicide.
1: Survivor of.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Something weird. Something like that, you know, like, um, I had a family member uh die by suicide.
1: Right. Right. And and, so, and that's yeah, and I mean I and I think what we're acknowledging right now, just in the first couple minutes of this, is how difficult it is to even try to figure out, right, like the right words or the right ways to talk about such an important and painful and hurtful topic. And uh, you know, I, I guess from Billy and my side, we'll we'll do our best. We are not the experts in politically correct terminology or even in uh couth at times but you know we will yeah. we will do our best to try to like honor this topic and uh but yeah I think Austin you're here you're probably much more the expert than us. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your story, uh why you're here to talk about this topic, what feels relevant for you to share.
2: Yeah. So uh once again, you know, my name's Austin. Um in uh August third of twenty twenty, my sister uh died by suicide uh we're both addicts luckily i'm in recovery uh i celebrated five years this month
0: congratulations Congratulations.
2: thank you um and so whenever she died by suicide she uh she so this might be a little graphic fair warning she decided to shoot herself in front of her husband Mm. uh she had a went through a lot of domestic violence with her, uh, relationship with her husband. Um, we witnessed a lot of that growing up. See, and that's kind of the weird thing. Like, you know, they say that like a lot of times we go, we seek out people that are kind of like our parents. Right. And so like, obviously she kind of found somebody that was like my dad, like pretty abusive, pretty, pretty, uh, um, yeah, she just witnessed a lot of domestic violence growing up and, um, the biggest thing with her is I think she just wanted to be loved, right? She just wanted to be loved and she wasn't getting that from her relationship with her husband. And, uh, she started using again, you know, she was, she was fine whenever she was clean and, uh, or maybe not fine, but she was stable. Right. And that's another part of it is, uh, she was also diagnosed with depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, so uh mental health played into it a lot for me the biggest thing I could say is that like I'm grateful for where I was in my recovery because I don't know if I would have been able to handle that without using you know uh if I didn't have such a solid solid recovery because I'm also in the a program narcotics anonymous mm-hmm. I do a lot with uh I do a lot with our Our fellowship up here uh i'm located in wyoming which to put into some perspective right uh wyoming's almost the same population as baltimore for the whole state
1: and it's a much bigger state i believe yeah
2: (laughs) yeah for you know one city compared to the
1: whole state right is it is it true that there's more sheep in wyoming than people probably yeah (laughs) i could see it. a lot more animals in general Yeah. And and I don't want to get us completely off topic, Austin, but I'm just personally interested. I know Billy has talked about his travels out West into like more sparse populations and how hard it is to find meetings and get to meetings. Can you talk just a little bit about like what the state of 12 step looks like in Wyoming compared to like maybe a more metropolis area?
2: Yeah, actually I can. So um, my wife and I got out of treatment. We actually moved to the, after treatment, she went to treatment in the, southwest corner of the state i went to montana once we got out we decided to make that location change right so we decided to move uh stay down there in the southwest corner when i got there na was basically non-existent like people were just going there to sign each other's papers um there was actually or hook up or you know sell dope you know like it just was very toxic that's
1: disgusting what town is that
2: (laughs) (laughs) right Yeah. Uh, So that didn't last long, right? That meeting obviously didn't last super long, which I'm grateful for because it wasn't a meeting, right? Uh, And so we decided to start a meeting down there. And uh, yeah, to this day, it's still going strong. You know, Um, we moved back to my hometown in the northeast corner of the state. And... Uh, There was some solid, solid recovery up here. There was a solid meeting that's been around since uh, 2014. But along with that comes, you know, like uh, the politics and the ups and downs and the resentments and and everything else that goes, you know, personalities uh, before principles was happening a lot. Right. And so um, we decided to to just give people another avenue and start another group. So like the, the Southwest corner of the state in our area, we had to travel basically a hundred miles in any direction to hit another meeting. Yeah. And so uh, it's very spread out. Um, It's becoming more common, right? Uh, More groups are popping up, um, littler towns and, and uh, we try to support them. You know, we try to travel and, and visit various groups throughout our, Throughout our region, uh, you know, I'm I'm involved in the region pretty heavily. Um, yeah, I don't know. So like our bigger our bigger cities, right? Which still wouldn't be considered a big city, right? Like Casper, Wyoming, is uh, our second largest city with 50,000 people, mm. and they have between like four and six different groups down there. You know, so
1: wow. It's just such a different picture than, than what, like you yeah. said, the meeting's been established and going strong since 2014. And I was like, man, so many meetings in Baltimore are from like the early 80s or at least early mid 90s, right? Like it's so much more established. And I think, and and I don't know now, last time I heard somebody say it, it was like 543 meetings a week in our Baltimore area. Shoot.
0: Like 543. 30... 32 or 33 groups just in this area which is just two counties and we're a rural right
1: right and he's talking about an area that there's like four or five meetings a week Mm. you know what i mean or groups like that's just such a drastic difference in in level of like what it looks like i'm sure it's a difference in how it feels for your recovery i'm sure it's a difference in like what's available to access. Like you said, there's a lot of personalities. And if you're in a smaller area, there's not maybe as many personalities. You might be the only different personality, you know? So like that's, I don't know. I imagine that's a really different level of support as you're going through some of the tougher things in your life.
2: Yeah. So I just counted. Right. And so like there's 21, uh, 21 towns and cities in the state that have meetings for the whole state.
1: Wow. That's incredible.
2: And, uh, I mean, once again, that's very spread out. Right. And uh, we do have meetings, too, in other places. You know, Evanston, Wyoming, uh, they've had their meetings established since, like, the 80s. But all, all, also, like, you get that personality, right? Um, Evanston's got, like, a little over 10,000 people. And due to resentments and, and whatever, you know, they also have, like, four groups in that little town now.
1: You know? <laughs> Resentment and so,
2: it's a little different, but yeah, like you said, you know, like I've been to big cities. I've worked in oil field, uh, basically from New Mexico to North Dakota. Uh, I went to the world convention in 2018 down in Orlando, you know, like I've been all over hit meetings all over. And so it is, it is a lot different, you know,
0: how do you handle the, like, Suggestions of like ninety meetings in ninety days for newcomers and things like that, I <laughs> don't suggest it <laughs> and do well, it's in the basic text, but is it, yeah, in the yeah. It works how and why chapter I mean, uh, what can I do chapter huh uh and like, do you feel like that is maybe I uh, a uh, I don't know that limited access is like a barrier or maybe was a hurdle that was maybe hard for you and your sister to overcome, well, not for you, you've obviously done it, but for her,
2: right yeah so i think it was um you know she's also a violent offender she went to prison for oh so my sister's a little crazy (laughs) okay right she went to prison for intimidation of a witness um she beat up a confidential informant put a gun to her head all sorts of stuff like this Mm -hmm. and so she you know when i was in early recovery she was actually that was the first time she went to treatment and i got a um travel and, and go to the treatment facility and do her family family days with her and kind of hash out some of our our trauma and our resentments and and stuff like that but the thing about it is like she knew where to find recovery you know she just wasn't and um as far as uh what you said about 90 meetings in 90 days like yeah certain places like uh here in Gillette, we have at least one meeting every day, Okay. sometimes two. So it's easy for you to do it here, right? Other places, not so much. The one benefit of the pandemic has been the Zoom platform, hmm. right? Now there's really no excuse. Like You can hit a meeting at any time of any day via Zoom. But before that, yeah, it was really, really difficult to uh, hit 90 and 90 around here, you know?
1: That's so crazy that that's actually in the literature when that book was written so long ago when there wasn't. I mean, there was yeah. barely a meeting a day in bigger cities at that point in time. I'm shocked. Does it say 90 and 90 days? It says a meeting say, a
0: day for your first 90 days is how it's worded. It?
1: Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's so wild that it's in there. I, I guess what I was thinking, uh, Austin, about the difference in how it looks is I'm picturing in Baltimore City, right? You have three years clean, this tragic event happens in your life. And the way I would picture that people would tell you to seek support would be to be in a meeting every day, or maybe even multiple meetings a day, right? It would be like, this is where you should be and how you should seek support. And I imagine in an area like yours, that might look a whole lot different. That might look like a lot more outside of meeting support, right? That might be like the people in your network showing up every day for a coffee with you or to sit with you for a while. It might not necessarily be like, oh, hey, you should be in a meeting every day if that's not even what's available or what it looks like in your area.
2: Yeah, so like during the during the event, right? I was still living in the southwest corner of the state. Uh, I only came up to visit my family because it's a six-hour drive one way. And is that you know? your
0: sister was where your hometown was, you said, in the, was it Northeast corner?
2: Yeah. Yeah. She was in the Northeast corner. I was in the Southwest corner. Um, So I only came to visit my family maybe two or three times a year because I hated that drive, right? Mm -hmm. Round trip, 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And so I leaned on the program really heavily and good thing that like every time that I did come home, I went to meetings Mm -hmm. and I established some uh some relationships with some of the people in the program up here because whenever uh like when it after it happened you know like uh na showed up for me they really did you know i had people from from the program up here that didn't even know my sister that came to the funeral just to support me Mm -hmm. you know and so that was one thing you know it's kind of like you know kind of like that saying you know like no matter where no matter where you go there you are right Mm -hmm. like if I go seeking uh seeking out substances, I'll find them. If I go seeking recovery, I can find it. I might have to look a little harder, but um and instead instead of uh getting the dope man's numbers from all over, you know, I was uh getting uh people that were in the program's numbers, mm-hmm. right? And so that was another thing so like after her funeral and they did the memorial afterward. They had it at a bar, but, you know, and, uh, I stayed for about an hour until people started to get drunk. And I was like, all right, I don't like this piece out. I'm going to a meeting, you know, right? And it was, it was kind of funny too, because I got a friend and he was like, oh, look at you going to do something positive for yourself while I'm over here drowning in my sorrows, you know? And like, it's just, you know, I have better coping skills today. I have better tools, you know? that don't involve nothing that i nothing that can happen to me today the solution would be to use right right that's never that's never the solution for me um to kind of get back you know onto the the subject right wyoming has i got some statistics right here so wyoming has the number one uh the highest suicide rate in the nation per capita.
1: Wow!
2: In my county, uh, in twenty twenty, and this is a county of like forty five hundred or forty five thousand people, we had uh twenty one suicides. Wow! Uh, in twenty uh or twenty twenty two, yeah, in twenty twenty two, twenty one suicides. Wyoming as a total for twenty twenty two had one hundred fifty five suicides. Nationally, in twenty twenty, that was the most recent statistics I could find uh per the CDC website was 45,979 people died by suicide so to put that in perspective you know for the nation that would be my whole county wow. that'd be everybody in my county you know plus some. Mm-hmm. and so one thing that we need to start doing a little bit better of a job at is like normalizing uh therapy right mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate advocate for therapy And, uh, like growing up, you know, it was kind of hard. People always like, my dad was like, you don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about, you know, like we don't show emotions, especially as men it's, uh, it's got that stigma still attached to it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so breaking that stigma is, is one thing that I think, uh, really needs to, to get done it's kind of like we're finally seeing the, the the stigma being broken of of addicts in in recovery right especially with over you know 100,000 fem- overdose deaths in the nation like that's unreal right and so now that uh treatment and recovery is becoming more uh more prevalent and uh more accepted you know i think we need to do that with with mental health as well Yeah.
0: Now is Wyoming. So we're in Maryland and Baltimore City is a more progressive city, but where we're at is like a rural county and it's quite conservative. So a lot of the views on addiction and mental health for that matter are probably 20 years behind (laughs) where they should be um, or, or where we'd like to see them. I mean, we have a lack of resources available within the county for both mental health and substance use. How is it in Wyoming? Are they any more progressive, less progressive?
2: <clears throat> we are like the reddest state <laughs> whenever it comes to that, you know, we are, uh, red blooded Americans around here. So okay. to say, it's very conservative. It's,
0: is it like very Christian based? I know some of like Kansas and, and those areas are are way more Christian
1: it's interesting that Wyoming has the highest rate of suicide per capita, and then is the reddest, conservativest state. Yeah. Is there a correlation there or causation?
2: You know, lack of I resources. Don't know. <laughs> you know, I think that's I think that's a big thing is lack of resources, right? Okay, so like in 2014, when I was trying to get clean on my own, like you know I'm a IV heroin addict. I knew I was gonna die, like. I was in really rough shape. Uh, I went into a treatment, an outpatient treatment facility. Was going to like IOP, uh, intensive outpatient I was doing counseling but I was still using. And so that was how I like I kind of coped with it, you know, try to try to better myself while I waited to get into a treatment facility, right? Well, it was I, I was like 60 to 90 days out waiting on a bed right waiting on a bed date there's like five treatment facilities six maybe for the whole state i don't know lack of resources is definitely one of the biggest things too and that was like a big thing too like 2020 um with the pandemic and with everything that went on uh they cut a lot of resources right they cut a lot of funding for for mental health resources which i thought was one of the stupidest things they could have Hmm. done Yeah, Because people are, people are locked away in their house, they're more likely to be uh, abusing substances, like it had a very traumatic effect on people's well being and mental health. Right. Mm. And so for them to cut funding, I was just, I was mind blown. Right. Mm. And so like that, too, could go back to what Jason was saying, like, being more conservative, they might not have thought it was relevant, you know,
1: it's interesting i mean i just trying to think of the ideals that could possibly play into something like that and and i'm not trying to like pick apart conservative minded people or liberal minded people but just this idea that like the general feeling of conservatism is like we want smaller government less interference less people intruding in our life and telling us what to do we want to just kind of take care of it ourselves and I, i i don't That's not a a terrible thing in and of itself, right? I I don't disagree with that point of view. And yet, when there's no oversight or no other outside, not to say that government's the right people, but if there's not even community looking into our windows and saying, oh, maybe this isn't a very great condition in this house. Like, if we're all just not monitored or not connected... like. I guess what I'm trying to say is when when you were conservative and wanted less government and there was a small community around you and you guys supported each other and like were there to kind of call each other out if things weren't looking right that's one thing but in 2023 when everybody just kind of doesn't leave their house and doesn't talk to their neighbors that version of conservatism and lower you know lower oversight looks a lot more like fucking dangerous situation for kids. Yeah. Yeah, no, I
2: I absolutely agree. Um I think with with, with the amount of suicides we've had, with the amount of suicide attempts, with the amount of calls that law enforcement goes out on, uh, whether it be with someone, uh, you know, suffering, a, a mental health episode, all the substance abuse that we have around, you know, I think they're finally starting to realize that, yeah, like we need more resources, but it's still hard because we do have, um, some people that are just kind of old school and kind of stuck in their, their ways. Right. Right. Um,
0: well, in my understanding of conservative um, conservativeism a big part of that is like you succeed or fail on your own merits and it's up to you and that pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And of course, for those of us that are struggling with addiction or mental health, like when I was using actively, like I didn't have the capacity to pick myself up mm-hmm. by my bootstraps, you know what I mean? And I had no income, no money. So if it wasn't for resources that were provided by the community, you know, I I yeah. wouldn't have had anything to go to. I went to a state run rehab, you know, is where right, I went. Right. The other problem with that is a lot of these programs, if you base the success of the program off the success rate of the individuals, we all know like addiction and and mental health programs they're sort of lifelong. They're not mm-hmm. going for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. People need typically long-term care. So you can't measure that program to say, oh, look, it's a great success. We should continue to fund it. And so therefore it's easy to say, well, we should just cut that out. It doesn't work anyway. So let's just cut it out. Right. But it's, it's not viewed as a safety so, uh, social safety net it's viewed as you know just some program
1: well and and you know not to get us way off of the fucking Mm -hmm. topic but just thinking about the idea of like during covid we had these these child tax credit payments for people right and if you look at a situation we're going to judge people and we're going to say oh Uh, Billy over there, who comes from a a household median income of $500,000, where his parents didn't have to worry about money, where they had more time to take off of work and show up for him and take him to doctor's appointments and give him care. Uh, Yeah, he can pull himself up by his bootstraps as an adult. Why can't Jason over there, who grew up with like rags and and hand-me-downs and never got ahead and couldn't get to the doctors when he was sick and, you know, like, we're going to judge that. and, And like... A more stressed parent who doesn't have money for food for the whole fucking week is not going to be able to take care of their kids in as good of a situation as somebody who doesn't worry about money. And it's just like, why can't we see that and make the decision to support parents so that we can stop harming children? Because we can have a lot of conversations today, but one of the things that sticks out to me is that this life is not here anymore because of the situation they grew up in. That's my take on it. I I don't know if you disagree, Austin, but like that's exactly what it sounds like to me.
2: Yeah, well, okay. And so you go back to, um, to basically like you were saying, like everybody was locked down. The government was giving out free money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or I don't know if you consider it free. I'm sure we'll pay it back someday, yeah. somehow. <laughs> we, like we always do. $8 yeah. eggs. <laughs> uh, oh, it's only 8 there? Dang, <laughs> Like 10 12 out here. But, you know, they say idle hands is the devil's playground. I was fortunate. I stayed working the whole time. Uh, So did my wife and my wife worked in the treatment uh, in a treatment facility in the treatment setting. I was in the oil and gas industry, so I was considered Mm -hmm. essential. Yeah, because that's part of our nation's infrastructure. Right. Right. So I was lucky, you know, I didn't get to sit at home and have nothing but free time. You know, I can tell you that. I could tell you that it was lucky because (laughs) I know where my head goes. I know where my, uh, my attic brain will take me if I'm doing nothing, but sitting in my house, you know, and, uh, getting handed money, you know, um, it's a matter of time for me, I think in that situation until I'm going to the liquor store or, or, you know, finding something else, you know, to, to pass the time. And so I think that that did have a huge effect on uh on everybody you know even even the people that were essential because we were still seeing it you know we were seeing the the consequences of that with our friends and our family and
1: and uh our neighbors and you know everybody else around right so i i mean you said you were like really entrenched in the program when this all happened. And, you know, doing the math myself, I'm guessing you had like right around three years, uh, in recovery, man, I'm thinking back to having three years in recovery, Billy. And I was not ready. Maybe I had the right network and support system to help me through it because I did feel pretty plugged in at that time, but God, I was not ready to handle anything this big. Yeah. that just sounds, can you, can you talk a little bit about like how, I don't know. What was the experience? What would you go through? Was it shocking, devastating? Like what share with us, uh, what you're comfortable sharing with.
2: Yeah. So, and that's the thing about it is like the grief process, right? It's, uh, it comes in waves, mm. you know, uh, still to this day, you know, I have ups and downs, like there'll be times I'll be at work and I, I, today I operate heavy equipment. And so I sit in a piece of equipment for 12 hours a day by myself. You know i got plenty of time to just be thinking right Mm -hmm. and uh so like even to this day you know like i'll go from like one second like cussing my sister out to like crying to then just like thinking about happy times right but so in that moment in that uh right after right after she took her life um honestly like one of the biggest things like my wife she's the one that uh turned me on to you guys about three years ago. Uh my wife Autumn, uh she's emailed you guys a few times. She uh she has a few uh couple more years clean than I do and uh you know also working in the treatment facility. She's and she uh she's just amazing, right? And did, so like
1: did she thirteen without, step
2: you? <laughs> no. No, we used together. She just got oh, okay. clean before I did. I gotcha. Uh she went to a very long-term treatment program she was in there for like nine months wow that's awesome yeah and uh actually my daughter uh has the most clean time out of all
1: of us (laughs) that's Uh, fantastic i hope it always stays that way yeah
2: yeah me too but um so like she was a huge support man like without her uh i don't know if i would have been able to do it you know Mm. um my mom my mom was a wreck she's still kind of a wreck these days like it's getting easier i won't say it's getting better it's getting easier mm-hmm. but um so like my wife basically wrote the obituary like mm-hmm. basically did almost everything for the funeral um i helped when i could but yeah like it was it was an emotional time but at the same time like for me i was also really good at um still kind of stuffing my feelings down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Um, it didn't hit me until a little while after that I was actually able to, to grieve and and to cry and to feel those emotions, right? right. Um, but that was the first thing I did, whenever I got that phone call. Uh, my mom called me crying, she couldn't even talk. Uh, my stepdad had to get on the phone and tell me what happened. And directly after that i called some sponsors and i called my sponsor and uh after that you know middle of the night it was like midnight when i got the phone call packed everything up loaded up the the kid and the dog and and made the six-hour trip to uh to gillette to be with my family and to uh uh you know to start working on that process of of Getting the funeral together, you know, getting, just taking care of whatever we could take care of, you know, to be with my family really was the biggest part, uh, being that support for them. A little while after it, so like there are support groups, um, grief and loss support groups. Um, One of the biggest helps was I went to uh, this grief group down in Rock Springs. And the guy that facilitated it, gym, he was like, he's one of the strongest people I know. So he uh, lost his daughter to sui- uh, suicide. A couple years later, it was too hard for him to handle and his, or for his wife to handle. And she took her own life. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, later that year of 20, no, in early 2020, he lost his son to an accidental overdose. And so he had he's like he's like, it's just me and my daughter left, right? And so um, you know, me and him laughed together in there, we cried together, like mm-hmm. he was just he was huge support, but most of the time, uh being as a smaller community, it was usually just like me and him, right? Mm-hmm. And so like we got that intimate relationship, we got to be able to talk about all this stuff. And so it was basically counseling, but with two just you know, just basically, you know, like the saying, one addict helping another, it was one grieving person helping another, and so that was a, a tremendous support for me, yeah, I don't know, man, it's, it's a, and see, it's like, I don't know, it's a weird thing, because like, it's one thing for, um it, I think it'd feel different if it was, uh you know, like an accident, right, like she died in a, uh, in a car accident, or, you know what I mean? But when somebody takes their own life, like, they really got to be in a low spot, or really not thinking about what they're doing. So uh, my sister was heavily intoxicated on, on alcohol and methamphetamine when she did it. Uh, she was off her mental health medication. Um, You know, there were there were all these variables that played into it, right? Right. And so, times of me, you know, times I like to think that like, hey, if she would have been on her meds and stable, this wouldn't have happened, or if she wouldn't have been loaded, this might have happened. This might not have happened, or you know, like I can play all these what ifs, right? You you end up playing the what if game a lot whenever it becomes whenever it comes to a uh, somebody that that passes away, especially by suicide, right? Because then like you start feeling like, Hey, like, is there anything, is, was there more that I could have done? You know, like what, you know, I could have reached out more. I could have, you know, this and that, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I just have come to like accept it for what it is, you know, that like she decided to, to do what she did. And, and I just got to move on. And like, so that's why it, you know, the programs taught me to carry the message to the addict that still suffers. Why can't I carry a message of hope uh, to people suffering with mental illness? Mm. Uh, people people feeling hopeless, feeling like there's not, you know, that there's not something out there for them, right? Because I also, you know, I suffer from depression and anxiety, right? Uh, my mental, so I always said, you know, like, if my, if my substance abuse didn't kill me, my mental health was going to right, especially whenever I was at the lowest point in my life, because like you said, I had nothing, right, I had nothing, I, th- I, I gave everything away due to my addiction, right, I was, a uh, homeless at times, I was, so towards the end of my addiction, I was basically squatting in a trailer, you know, I had no electricity, no, uh, no gas, no running water, like, just miserable life, right, right. and so I was at a very low spot, and, uh, I think my child was like the only thing that gave me a little bit of hope and light, right. That like, I needed to get my, needed to get my shit together so that I could be a father for this beautiful little girl. I have, Right. Well, my sister didn't have children. She didn't have that, you know, she didn't have, I think she just felt, felt lost and hopeless. Right. And so today, like I tried to advocate, like, uh you know you might be going through a tough time right now you might be going through some hardships you might feel alone you might feel hopeless but there's always you know i feel like there's always light at the end of the tunnel like that doesn't need to be the solution today Here, to your problems right uh that's a permanent that's a you know they say that's a permanent solution to a temporary problem
1: right yeah that's a I don't know. I mean, I get the saying and yet it still, I don't know that it provides a lot of comfort for you or, or anybody else that's dealing with it. I don't want to bring this up to try to make any comparisons or, or, or levels or intensities of what people go through. I, I think there's a lot of similarities across the field of grief for anybody who's ever had to experience it, that. So like, I don't know that a a ton of people can relate into this particular instance, but I do think most of us can relate in, in some way to losing someone and trying to move on without them. And, you know, the experience of like having to make some of these calls and the support that shows up or doesn't. Um, we, had, we'd done a, we did a grief episode quite a while ago and, and the individual that guested on that episode shared that like in the, in the immediate sense or wake of what happened everybody showed up right it was like non-stop outpouring of all this support and then you know there came this time period or this line where it became it felt to them and nobody said this to them but it felt to them like people were tired of hearing about it and it was like time for them to get over it almost or is what it felt like um did you experience any of that? I, I know you already kind of talked about how you sort of sought out this other this other place, and I think that was probably has a lot to do with where you got a lot of support. But I'm curious, did it feel like the support kind of dropped off at some point in time?
2: Um, you know, I kind of feel like it has in a way, right? So like up here in Gillette, they are very few grief and loss groups or like there is one, but it's like really kind of toxic. Cause it's just like the guy that facilitates it just comes in there and just like completely trashes his wife, yeah. you know, like he's just, he's very, very angry about his wife taking her life, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I understand it, you know, like that's, that's part of grief, right? You go through an anger phase or, you know, but it's like super unhealthy, right? It's, yeah. and it's, so um, like my mom actually attends most of her support groups online. Um, But that's, so that's another avenue, right. For support. You can find support online. You can find support. Um, I go, I go to counseling. I go to therapy, right. My mom goes to counseling. I got my daughter in a grief group, which um, she absolutely loves. Uh, It's a, it's a children's grief group. But for me, like, I have another avenue, which is through the program of Narcotics Anonymous, I can go there and I can spew my stuff, you know, I can get all that stuff off my chest with like minded people. But at the same time, like not everybody's going to have that. Right. Yeah. And so this comes back to like, kind of breaking that stigma, making resources more available, like, I think we need to have, um, you know, more, more grief and loss groups. And I'm sure it's it's different in bigger cities. You know, I'm sure people have that, but, um, as far as like, you know, you said our, our rural communities, it's just not available a lot.
1: Yeah. I I was also picturing that like a lot of people I would imagine in our, with our backgrounds, right. People in recovery, I would imagine a lot of us feel a sense of having lost people we cared about to death by suicide, right? Like I know, and you brought this up before we started recording for the show today, like even though it's not technically considered or counted in the quote unquote official numbers of suicide deaths, um, you know, even I remember hearing in the fellowship, like we're, we're practicing this idea of suicide on a time or 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 an installment plan basically right like we're we're doing a little, a little bit of time killing ourselves every day and and we never do know when it's going to be that time and so i get it maybe there's some nuanced difference between the two but i would imagine a lot of people feel like the person they lost had an active hand in the end uh, of their life and it's That's just a really, really hard concept, I think, to handle. Like you said, by accident, by disease, at least it feels like there's a reason, and I would imagine it would be really hard to, especially when we already struggle with understanding life and understanding the world, it would be really difficult to try to get through the feelings of having to deal with the thing without understanding why.
0: Well, I think there's an area of compassion, at least for me as an addict, like I... Remember using it at the end of my using like I didn't really care if I died. I didn't want to actively kill myself, but I didn't really care if I died and thought I'm going to die any time now. So I think as we at least for me, as I got clean, it allows that experience allows me to be way more empathetic to people that are in that state and make a different choice, you know, because I know what that's like to be like, man it's fucking hard. Mm -hmm. Like life is hard and things are difficult and and I don't know what to do. And sometimes we just want relief from pain and that can do that. But obviously it hurts those around us as well. So it's tough.
2: That's the hardest part, right? It's like trying to, trying to, one of the hardest parts in my opinion is like trying to console somebody that lost somebody to suicide. Right. And that's another part, right? Like, uh say i lose somebody to cancer like or you know a friend of mine loses their parent to cancer like i can kind of console them in a different way because it was anticipated Mm. right whenever it's something that's unexpected it's i think it's kind of harder to console somebody especially whenever it's it's by you know like you said it's by their own hand. um like billy said though like i was at the end of you know like i didn't at the end of my addiction i didn't care if i lived or used same I, same I mean i mean lived or died i was just um you know i was just an empty shell of a person anyway you know and uh today like you said i'm like way more compassionate i'm way more empathetic like and that's why like i kind of uh you know try to be an advocate for people um for support for for whatever like um trying to be that you know that beacon of hope to tell people that like, like whatever you're going through is temporary, you know, like, we can get through this, like, you know, there's resources out there, Um, some might be more difficult to find than others. Um, But that's also uh, a gift of the internet, right? Like, you could find just about whatever resource you want online these days. And so that's another blessing that that uh, we have at our, you know, at our disposal.
1: Well, when you when you talk about that idea of like, at the end, we didn't really care to be alive. One of the things that stands out to me about that, and you kind of mentioned you were an empty shell of a person. And I was thinking, yeah, I felt like whatever the, the thing is, you know, we can give it some words. There's like vitality, chi, life, energy, soul, like whatever the fuck it is in us that makes us feel alive or be alive. That was gone for the most part, right? There was just this like... You know, very gray, black message of like, just get the means to get one more at all times. Like that was the only thing that went on inside of me. So yeah, it didn't feel like I was alive and dying, so to speak. Necessarily, didn't feel like I was giving up anything. I felt like I was kind of already there. My body was just sort of going through the motions of still existing.
2: It's Nilsen song, right? He (laughs) says, he says, uh, I believe I could see the future because i repeat the same routine. Mm. And that was uh you know that sp- spoke volumes to me because like you said it was the getting and finding ways and means to get more. Yeah. It was i every day it was like how am i going to get money to get loaded and then i get money and then i get loaded and it was just this repetitive vicious cycle, right? Yeah. And yeah. uh i feel like a lot of people kind of feel that way with 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 their mental health, right? I feel like a lot of people go back and forth with themselves with trying to feel like how how am i going to get out of this depression you know and then you know something they might find a little bit of relief but then they keep going back it's like that revolving door right they keep keep going back into that depressive state or that whatever the case may be you know um whether it be like they find some find some relief on playing video games, but then they know they got to go to school the next day and are going to get bullied again. You know, like it's, I feel like it's kind of that same, that same cycle in a lot of different situations. And uh, whenever it comes to your mental health, like, I feel like you got to find something, some sort of solution, right. To, to make yourself feel better, whether that be therapy, whether that be, um, you know, going to counseling, whether that be going to support groups, whether that, be just even talking to another person, you know, like talking to my mom, like uh, uh, me and my mom have always been super close. And so like uh, we lean on each other quite a bit. Right. But there's days that like for her, it's 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 this repetitive cycle. Right. With with grief, at least, you know, because like there's days when she's feeling all right and doing doing pretty good. And then uh, maybe not even days, you know, like hours, she's feeling all right and feeling good and she found that temporary relief whether you know whether it be working out in her small business uh, doing something for somebody else or, and then a couple hours later it hits her again and then she's bawling and she's just like has all these whys and these what if questions going on you know and so like it's uh, it's just a constant cycle right Yeah. and so I don't know it's
0: I think it would be helpful for if we began a conversations around mental health as far as like assimilating it to like physical health like most people just think oh you're just supposed to be mentally healthy with doing little to no work or maintenance or even research to see if you're mentally healthy. Don't we think
1: that about physical health too?
0: Well, we kind of do, but we're starting to learn. Like, (laughs) no, if you want to be like physically healthy, like it depends on what you're eating and Mm. are you exercising and are you getting enough sleep and are you getting enough sunlight and all those things contribute to our physical health. And I think it would be helpful if we started looking at our mental health that way too. I know I was raised in a home where you didn't go to any kind of counseling, psychiatrist, psychologist. And if you did that, something was wrong, you know, something was wrong with you. And it's we almost need to incorporate into our system like mental health wellness checkups. Like you just go talk to a counselor, you know, maybe once or twice a year just to see how you're doing, like as a checkup almost. And then having some regular routines around mental health. We're lucky, I think, in 12 step groups, if we're actively participating in a program with other healthy people. <laughs> oh, let me give you that caveat. That we're doing some of that. Like, you know, I'm around people that are helping me. You know, we have in our the Narcotics Anonymous literature that just for today reading about, you know, getting a better perspective on my life and doing some things. I need to do that shit every day because my mental health,
1: you know, can lead me astray. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we could... Speak of the importance of like self reflection, self awareness, right. like right. any clue that hey, just what I do naturally is the course of my day every day might not be the right thing all the time. Uh right. I just think we, we operate from this assumption of I'm always right and we never even open the idea to like maybe I can hear somebody else or some other idea and and, and wh- the way that impacts me in relation to this episode is the main thing that stands out is I don't know this for sure, but my take, for whatever that's worth, is that if we can have somebody on this world that can see us and hear us and validate us, we're probably not going to leave. And if we have left or are choosing to leave, that probably means that there's literally not one single person that's showing up for us in a meaningful way and really hearing what the fuck we're saying, really listening, really able to see through what they think the world should be and hear what we're saying it is for us and for for teenagers and children this is like the scariest because as a parent i'm a guy who didn't hear my fucking kids for a while right and i work with people who aren't hearing their children and i work around death by suicide and it's sad and and it's just like man when are we going to decide to put like uh, Yes, shitty things happen in the world, but if your parents hear you and see you, I think there's like there's a way to get through it. There's a way to support you through it. All the worst bullying and whatever else could be happening with your peers. And like, to me, this is falling on parents, man. We need to fucking step up and acknowledge it and take the ownership of like there's something else we can do besides be a dick or a punishment or uh you did the wrong thing, go to your room or give me your phone and now you don't have access to your support networks and I don't know. Maybe I'm standing on soapbox today. Sorry. No,
2: I think, yeah, I think you both had really, really valuable, uh, really valuable points there. And like uh, what Billy was saying, like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know what I mean? Go, go visit a counselor once or twice a year. And then maybe, you know, uh, you'll actually get into visiting that counselor more because you do realize you have some unresolved issues you have. See, and that's another big thing is trauma. Right. And usually we only associate trauma with like massive events right you know maybe domestic violence sexual sexual abuse um you know all these things but man trauma can happen you know uh i lost my guinea pig that was traumatic you know uh you know i lost my job i uh you know my relationship just ended Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of these things are you know like uh, I think being cheated on right I think if your significant other cheats on you I think that's traumatic you know right. what I mean and like I don't think people realize that like trauma plays a huge part in our lives. and so like you were saying is like starting with our parents like yeah I think that if our parents were a little bit more empathetic and more more understanding or at least willing to take the time out of their day to talk to their children and see like hey, is everything all right with you? Like, how is school going? Like, how is school actually going? How is your relationship with your friends? How is your, like, how are you just doing mentally? You know what I mean? Um, I think that would play a huge part in it. Because um, like I said, we didn't really have that growing up. Both of my parents are addicts. So like, I'm, I'm grateful both of them are clean today and, and doing really well. And uh, But <clears throat> up until this event, like, my dad still was that, that, that hardened person right? He, uh, didn't believe, you know, like, yeah, he didn't believe in none of that stuff. He didn't believe about talking about your feelings, like none of that. And ever since this has happened, he's become a lot more compassionate, empathetic, uh, understanding. He, he, um, he actually tells me, you know, tells everyone, like one of his kids that he loves them today. And like, he, you know, he's willing to talk about his feelings for once, you know? And, uh, it's, sucks that it took this tragic event for that to happen right but the thing about it is it is happening now
1: right
0: yeah and hopefully we begin to make those changes generationally you know like i am better at talking about emotions and feelings with my kids than my parents ever were and hopefully that begins a healthier trend (laughs) you know going forward
1: yeah yeah and what i was thinking when austin was just giving us you know some of that with the The way he described parents not being able to show up and listen or or the ways maybe they would do better at it, it brought to mind, I think my first little soapbox moment was about, you know, the evil parents, right? (laughs) Even though that doesn't exist, but this is, there's a lot of loving parents and we accidentally dismiss our children as well, right? And just, I want to give the parents what that looks like. If every time your kid comes to you to talk about what they're going through, you try to give them a life lesson or a moral lesson, that's not humility like we talked about <laughs> in our last episode, right? That's the feeling of, oh, my God, I'm terrified they're not going to turn into a person that can make it in this world, and it's my job, and I better fix it real quick. That is a fear reaction. That is a what I have to tell you is more important than what you're telling me reaction. Maybe sometimes we be better off just like leaving the lectures and the fucking – they'll figure it out, man. Just be the good person you want them to be, and they will model the shit out of that, right? So, like, maybe we don't need to do that so much. Maybe we can just listen.
0: Yeah, and sometimes letting people know that you love them or that you care is more than just throwing the words out there. You know, it is it is showing up. It's mm. it's maybe taking them out to eat or having a conversation about something that they like that you're not into. I mean, I'll talk to mm. my kids about you know video games or stuff that i know nothing about (laughs) (laughs) right right just to try to let them know like hey i'm interested you know in in what you have going on like you matter
1: yeah and in 2023 one of the ways to show people they matter is put your motherfucking technological devices down like that (laughs) is yeah i my phone is not in my face while we're talking to Austin or Billy or any like, no, we need to be here and hear what people are saying. Um, Austin, just keep an eye on time, man. I would love for you to, if you could, uh, move into some of the ways you've found beneficial for you to get involved more, uh, in, in maybe this cause or this topic and the ways you find that have helped you heal through maybe however that looks.
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm part of uh, Suicide Prevention Coalition up here. Mm. I am also on the steering committee for the Crisis Intervention Team, which the Crisis Intervention Team uh, has to do with how law enforcement handles uh, people with mental illness. Nice. And so, for the Crisis Intervention Team, you know, I get to go uh, to some of their trainings and speak on my experience with my addiction, right, with my substance abuse disorder. I get to speak on. Uh, on my sister's suicide right i get to i get to 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 work with these law enforcement uh professionals right and uh that was something crazy too an addict working with law law enforcement like this like kind of blew my mind like first time or like any time i introduce myself when i'm there i'm like it's nice to be sitting on the same side of the table as you guys you know what i mean it's nice to not be in handcuffs when i'm talking with you guys right you know and but uh just getting law enforcement a better understanding of how people with mental illness uh uh might think or might react um as far as like the the prevention working with the prevention um you know like uh we have events we speak you know my mom has become a pretty big advocate as well she goes and shares her story about losing a child to to suicide you know i get to go and speak on on uh losing a sibling suicide and so just getting involved in the community right getting people to understand that um like mental health matters right and uh especially so this is another weird thing right so there's it was the the uh, term was coined in like the 70s so um it's called Gillette syndrome Mm -hmm. and it was based after the town the name of the town that I live in right and uh it's social disruption of the uh the social disruption of the effects of boom towns right so we're considered a boom town Mm -hmm. due to the oil gas and coal mining industries the population it was rapid population growth and so due to those that rapid population growth came uh deteriorated mental health Mm -hmm. more crime just so and so right it's not so much that like that these days like we're pretty stable in our population but i think that kind of carried
1: on you know like is that uh, is that from like less connected communities because so many people are moving there at one time from all over the place that it's like a lot of strangers instead of like slowly progressing Where like oh hey there's 20 families here one new family moves in we all get to know them like that's a lot more comfortable than just 80 people moving from 80 different places and none of you know each other like that's a lot less community going on a lot less connection
2: yeah, I think that's a big part of it too, you know, like, uh, cause we still get people from all over, you know, we had a, we had a guy come to our meeting the other day. He's from Texas, uh, up here working in the oil field, you know what I mean? And it's right. like, we still get people from all over. Um, and like you said, there's less connection, you know, that, that might be a big part of it, less connection. And going back to what I was talking about though, like, uh, about getting involved in the community, like, each and every person can get involved in the community you can go volunteer at a soup kitchen you can go volunteer at a library you know like you can go do volunteer work you can uh something as simple as like going and asking your neighbor if it, you can walk their dog you know what i mean like that's another thing like there's all different forms of therapy you know like i went to a treatment center that had e- equine therapy i was able to go ride horses and, and spend time with horses uh, In in return it it got me out of myself i was able to talk to these animals and as weird as it might sound you know like i was actually able to share secrets with an animal and it was another being it might not have been a person they might not have understood what i was saying but the thing about it is like i was getting it out you know what i mean i and can't it's like that's <laughs>
1: I can't get the picture out of my head of somebody going there and like sharing a really awful secret. And then, like by accident or chance, like the horse kicks him right afterwards. Like, fuck, <laughs> yeah. fuck, I can't even Buck share my secrets with horses. Yeah. <laughs> <Judgmental> or- right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, and so, like, I think a big part of that, that's a, that would be very unfortunate. I think a big <laughs> part of it, though, is, is uh, just connection like you said i'm connecting with an animal i'm connecting with with another being you know Mm -hmm. so today i i've made those connections right i made them with um within my community with these law enforcement officers you know um i've made them with with counselors i've made them uh with our prevention our, our prevention team which are you know the prevention team has county commissioners has doctors has lawyers has you know all these Uh, professionals on it you know and so like I've made these connections with these people to try to get information out try to get resources out Um, you know so that's that's a big thing that we're working on is trying to get more resources readily available for people that are suffering you know whether they're suffering with their substance abuse whether they're suffering with mental illness and I think it's something like 70 or 80 percent of people that abuse substances also have a dual diagnosis disorder, you know, they it's a feelings disease, they say, right? And so like I was using to try to numb myself, try to cope with, you know, cope with feelings or whatever. And so like I think a lot of people self-medicate, uh, you know, whether they're depressed or or bipolar or you know, whatever, I think they're just trying to self-medicate through substances. And so getting resources out getting resources available, getting uh, even just getting information out. Right. Um, we hand out little cards. It's like, you know, like you matter, mm. just simple stuff like that, like little cards that have like the, the nine, eight, eight crisis number on it, you know, like right. getting this information out just so people like, can even, you know, I don't know if somebody sees that and it might change their thought, you know,
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, I was
0: just going to say, are there things like as either a family member, loved one, friend, are there things we can do if we see maybe a friend or loved one in a emotional crisis or actions we should
2: take? So going back to what Jason said, um, you know, I think just listening, right. I think that's a huge thing, but, um, there's definitely signs. So like, making yourself aware of the signs, right? I, uh, observ- observable signs of like serious depressions, right? Like un- unrelenting low mood, pessimism, hopelessness, desperation, anxiety, um, withdrawal, sleep problems, increased alcohol and drug use, um, threatening suicide or expressing a strong wish to die. Like some of those are all signs, right? And so I think if we see, if we start to see some of these, especially just something as simple as like being withdrawn, right? I see somebody being withdrawn. I want to try to make contact with them. I want to try to, you know, a big part of my thing is sharing my story, what I've gone through, uh, whether it be with my substance abuse, with my own depression, with the loss of my sister, like, you know, um, being able to talk with somebody and, uh, you know, even better, just listening. You know, I don't know how to say it. I think if we know the signs a little bit better, we might be able to uh, have better judgment and be able to go talk to somebody about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so familiar, you making yourself familiar with those with those warning signs. Um, just reaching out, though. That's another thing is like. Most people, at least in my experience, myself, like whenever I'm feeling like that, I don't want to reach out. I want to, I want to self loathe. I want to sit in my, in my shit and just be depressed, you know? And so if we familiarize ourselves with those signs, like, Hey, we can go like, Hey, how are you doing today? Like, I reached out to some of my sponsees and some of my friends and just be like, Hey, like, how are you doing mentally today? You know, like, because a lot of people aren't going to just come out and talk about
1: it. Right. Right, I'm. I'm glad you brought up 988, which is our national suicide and crisis hotline. You can use that from anywhere in the U.S. Uh, it's sort of like, I guess, nine one one for emotions. Maybe nine one one is always still available. You know, if you can't remember nine eight eight, call nine one one. That's fine. They will get you to the right place. Um, I, I know there's like. <sighs> groups to help people grieve and, and deal with the, the aftermath. Uh, and there's also lots of, uh, help out there. It's probably varies a lot state by state locality to locality. Is there anything else that you're aware of Austin through the work you do that would be really useful for us to tell people or have links to, uh, underneath the episode? Yeah. So
2: I can definitely send you some links. And so this is another one that I wanted to talk, uh, touch on, right. was, um, the Trevor project. Oh, okay. So the Trevor project is for the LGBTQ community. And, uh, it says, right. You know, LGBTQ young people are four times more likely to attempt suicide and society uh, and suicide remains the second leading cause of death among all young people in the U S
1: that probably means they're uh one fourth as valued and seen as the rest of us.
2: Right. And so like, if you uh are are you know part of that um lgbtq community like that would be another thing i would suggest you know um i think um they have the the Trevor lifeline uh which is 1866 488 7386 and uh so you can once again it's about that connection you can speak to like minded people about what you're going through you know, like, I'm a straight man, I don't know what, what, uh, you know, a person in the LGBTQ community might be going through, I can relate to them in certain aspects of their life, I'm sure, but like, uh, they have a whole different realm of hardships that they go through, you know, and especially being a young person like that in uh junior high or high school, I'm sure that's not an easy thing to go through, you know, and so, um the biggest thing I think is, is talking about it, you know, no matter what you uh identify as what your race nationality, you know, like none of that matters. The biggest thing that matters is like reach out and talk to somebody about what you're going through about your hopelessness about, you know, whatever the case may be. I think that's the biggest thing. And so like, I'm super grateful that we do have these resources today. Like you can pick up the phone and you can call somebody, you can get on the internet and you can find all this, you know, find support groups out and uh, just talk about what you're going through.
1: No, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, was there anything else you definitely wanted to say before we had to stop?
2: No, I okay. think, you know, I think we've kind of covered a little bit of everything.
1: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Austin, what I wanted to just, say, you know, for my piece to kind of wrap up the show today, like, I appreciate your bravery in coming on. I know this isn't an easy topic. Um I appreciate your courage and like just being open about your life and, and some of your vulnerabilities that you've had to face. And I appreciate how much it means to you to be a part of the service of trying to help others to ever have to go through this or feel this on either side. The person who, who, you know, would eventually not be here and their family members. Like you wanna you feel a dedication to that cause and to be of service in that area. And I just I, I can't commend you or tell you how much I think of that highly or like look, English fucking sucks. There's not the right words. You're awesome and thank you for all that you do. Did you have Yeah, anything I
2: appreciate you, you guys. Like you guys get me through uh you guys get me through a lot. You know, because I'm still crazy. I'm still an <laughs> addict. Too- I still uh, get stuck in my own head sometimes, especially like I said, I, I spend 12 hours a day by myself at work. Uh, it's really easy for my brain to go in a in a really negative direction. And so like uh, podcasts,
1: I lean on podcasts heavily and you guys help me out tremendously. That's awesome. And oh, see, we always think so our episodes are too long. He's got 12 hours every day. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make them longer. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Austin, and uh, everybody out there. Hey, man, just try to see the people in your life and hear them just a little bit better today. Right? Have a good week. See you later, Austin. Have a good day. Okay, man?
2: You as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. That was really good stuff.
2: Yeah. I appreciate yeah. Thank it. you. It was nice thank to meet you guys. Thank you for guys. sharing your story. Right. Bye.
1: Bye. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.